UK changes its rules for gay and bisexual men seeking to donate blood. And the second part of our series looking back at the issues facing the LGBT plus community over the course of 2020. This week we focus on Brazil and the US. Hello and welcome to the podcast from Openly, the LGBT plus news website from the Thompson Reuters Foundation. I'm Hugo Greenhouse, LGBT plus editor of the foundation and overall editor of Openly, which you can find at openlynews.com. This week, the UK has changed its rules governing how gay and bisexual men can donate blood, moving to a risk-based assessment, dropping its blanket three-month ban. And in the final part of our series looking back over the past 12 months, looking at those issues that have affected LGBT plus communities in countries around the world. This week we look at the US and Brazil, asking our correspondents in the respective countries about how life has been for LGBT plus people in 2020 and what we here and openly need to look at as we move into 2021. Stay with us for the top LGBT plus news now. Britain has introduced a new behaviour-based policy, which will be used from mid-2021, meaning anyone gay or straight who has had anal sex with multiple partners or a new partner will not be able to donate blood. The change, though, means that men in long-term gay monogamous relationships will now be eligible to donate blood without any waiting period from next summer. Previously, gay and bisexual men had to remain celibate for at least three months. The announcement has been held by campaigners as a major victory for LGBT plus rights, but some have voiced concerns that its focus on anal sex still penalises men who have sex with men. I'm joined now by Ethan Spivey, founder of Freedom to Donate. So, Ethan, let's start with that central question. What's actually changed here? What's happened? So this is this is huge. It's a fundamental shift in how people are assessed um, for blood donation uh, here in the UK. Um, and it's something we've been working really, really hard uh, on with charities and, and the government. Um, and in a, in a nutshell, um, we're essentially moving away from um, a system which um, categorises gay and bisexual men um, as, as too risky um, and moves towards a system where anyone, everyone, regardless of sexuality, is asked a series of questions about their specific risk beha- uh, and that's down to their sexual behaviour. Um, so, you know, this is this is groundbreaking. It means for the first time people are assessed as individuals uh, on their risk. Uh, and we believe the, the potential is to unlock thousands of gay and bisexual men who previously um, were, were simply just kind of blanket um, excluded from donating. And, and why now? We've seen kind of similar moves in Australia, in the US, etc, etc. I mean, has there been any pressure on the kind of global blood surprise because of coronavirus uh, so lockdowns? People not being able to get out of the house and donate blood, basically. Yeah, I, th- I think it's quite interesting because obviously in the summer we also saw the trials going on here in the UK um, at, at Guy's and St. Thomas's. Um, and, you know, what happened there was the plasma that was being donated by volunteers. The um, clinical trial there took its guidance from the, um, the, the rules that were in place around blood donation or donation in general. Um, so gay and bisexual men were excluded from that specific trial. Um, and what that really did was, you know, shone a, shone a light on, um, you know, the kind of broader rules. And, you know, obviously from a campaign perspective and a, a pressure group perspective, that was that was that was helpful, to be honest. 
um, but also, you know, more broadly. I think it's an interesting one because what we've seen is, you know, civic duty and people's sense of community increase and things like donation, which blood donation, which is, you know, you don't get paid for. People do it off, you know, selflessly uh, out of their own volition to do it have really kind of risen up the agenda as, as something, you know, small in, in a way, but also absolutely huge. Um, one in four of us are going to need blood at some point in our lives. And, and that donation could save up to three lives, every single one. Um, it's an incredible thing to do. So, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic news that more people are going to be able to safely do that than ever before. Do you think that medical authorities would have moved to act if it weren't for coronavirus? Yes, um, we've been working on this for, you know, six years. Um, and, you know, with the, this policy, you know, unfortunately, I wish the government were as quick uh, to react to uh, something, you know, in a year's um, a space of time. But this is, you know, frankly, been a very long, hard fought um, win for campaign groups, for the charities involved, people like Terence Higgins Trust and others, incredible, you know, people involved in this. Um, and, you know, this has taken a lot of work for years. Um, and, you know, un unfortunately, change is incremental and it's slow. Um, and, you know, that is often the case with, with governments, both here in the UK and around the world. But, you know, I think, I think the place we've got to is, 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 is something that we can all be proud of. Now, we've seen some criticism um, based on the fact that the rules really do specify anal sex as being the one of the main transmitters here of HIV and also one of the main kind of flags that they're kind of raising. But talk us through what that, that means, because I think from what I've seen so far that if you're in a long term committed relationship, that that's fine. Absolutely. For kind of same sex couples, you can still kind of donate. There's not a problem there. But if you've had anal sex within the past three months with a new partner or multiple partners, whether you're gay or straight, uh, that precludes you from donating. Yeah, so so I think I think there's an important point you just mentioned there, and and, and another kind of like broader one as as we see. It. I mean, the first one is that the new rules on assessing risk apply to everyone and anyone. Um, you know that is that is a fundamental shift away from gay and bisexual men who were previously, um, you know, typecast as this risky group. And you know the the second point more broadly is you know you have to be able to come up with a system which assesses um, risk. And certain sexual uh, activities um, are riskier than others. And unfortunately, um, as I say that personally and, and, you know, as a gay man, anal sex is one of them and we can't get away from that. However, it's also not about um, relationships. It's about sexual partners. So, you know, I have seen some of that criticism um, and I've seen that leveled an insinuation about um, a judgment on relationships. And what this is not, either in a policy form, um, you know, or, or in a practical form, is a question about the relationship you have with anyone else. This is about how many numerical sexual partners you have. Um, and that applies whether you're straight or gay. And you're right within that. Um, depending on how many sexual partners you've had, the type of sex you've had with them is an indicator on risk. And that is scientific fact that um, increased uh, number of sexual partners having um, multiple partners with anal sex puts you at increased risk of a whole range um, of things like HPV uh, and others. And, and you mentioned HIV too. Um, but, you know, the final point I'd add on that is not just gay people have anal sex. Um, so, you know, that, that it's not just an exclusive carve out for gay and bisexual men. 
No, but people would come back at that point and say, well, that's that's fine. And absolutely, you're right to point out the, you know, the, the risk factors. And we have to be kind of absolutely based on the science and, and the medical evidence here. But they'd say it also that 90%, 95% of those people having anal sex are going to be gay or bisexual men. So it still seems and feels, this is not coming from me, but certain people we've been talking to, that it's specifically focused on preventing gay and bisexual men from being donated, being able to donate blood on the same basis as their heterosexual peers. I th- yeah, I, th- I think there's two things to say to that. I think the first one is, you know, the, the, the advances that we've made on, ju- on judging individual risk rather than basing it on sexuality, you cannot underestimate. Um, like you, you know, the, the work uh, that has gone into that to, to move government away from this idea that gay and bisexual men are just way too risk and we can't touch them has been a is, a, is a step change in how, you know, blood donation policy is conducted here in the UK. And I believe we'll have ramifications around the world. The second point is about, you know, the data that's available and, and you know, and, and, and then therefore how that impacts specific groups within that. And, you know, unfortunately, we are never going to get to a stage um, where every single person can donate blood. It's 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 not going to happen. Um, the blood services main priority is a safe and sufficient supply of blood. So within those parameters whereby, you know, we have to accept that some people are going to be at increased risk, whether that through through is, is through travel or tattoos or, you know, all of the things that you're asked before you donate blood. One of the key determining factors of an increased risk um, of, 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 of sexually transmitted diseases and infections is uh, multiple partners with anal sex. Unfortunately, those are the facts. So we have to get to a situation whereby we can allow as many people as possible to safely donate. And I think we've, uh, you know, it is a huge um, step to be able for the first time ever to have um, gay and bisexual men who are sexually active donating blood. That is, that is, you know, fundamental. But also, you know, that there are kind of, you know, a set of facts around sexually transmitted diseases. And we are, no, we are not ever going to get to the stage where everyone in the country can donate blood. Um, because uh, there are a range of factors that, that influence that. And, and unfortunately... Um, multiple partners having anal sex is, is one of them. Um, so, I, I mean, that's, I think that's, you know, what, I, what I'd say to that. But I'd also say, you know, this is, this is not to say that the policy cannot be improved. No one is here suggesting that this is the, you know, game over, done. We will never take, you know, any, anything else, you know, again. What we have done is managed to move the UK to assessing individual risk on the basis of an individual rather than sexuality. Do, do I think we could go further? Of course I do. Well, let, let's ask that question, I guess. I mean, because obviously countries like Italy, for example, have, again, an individualised risk-based assessment scheme. Um, now, Italy doesn't mention anal sex at all, just talks about sex, For stop. So what happens now? Could we perhaps move towards that point? Will, will there be, uh, will there, or should there, or could there, be further changes? I think completely, completely. I mean, you know, we we look at some of the points on PrEP, for example. There's not the data there at the moment on on PrEP. We look at, you know, again, we speak, we're we're talking specifically here about anal sex, but, you know, I'd I'd, I'd ask a question about how you had sex with people. And, you know, within that three months, I think there's also questions around the deferral period, which is about the um, time in the blood uh, that certain diseases can go uh, undetected. So, you know, can we tailor this more completely? But the difference being is what we've moved from is a is a kind of manu- mass manufacturing approach on gay and bisexual men being, you know, thrown out to, you know, moving an entire, you know, policy direction uh, in, in a direction that, that assesses an individual uh, based on their risk profile. Can we go further with that? Of course we can. Um, but unfortunately, that relies on data. And I think, to be honest, this gets to a wider point about LGBTQ um, uh, health equality, which is data. 
Because until the data exists um, and until government shows willing to invest in that, and frankly, that's going to cost money and time, then a whole range of health inequalities are going to persist. Um, and blood donation is one where we've made, you know, fan fantastic and, and pretty groundbreaking strides in the last few years, you know, thanks to a huge amount of hard work from LGBT charities and, 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 and campaigners, if I can say. Um, but, you know, of course, there's always there's always more we can do. But just to, just to finish up, I mean, it does sound like from what you're saying is that we're, we're almost there, but not quite, that there's still a kind of certain level of, of inequality left in the system. W would you agree with that? Do you know there's always going to be there's always going to be inequalities in the system. You know, are, are we going to move to a system tomorrow whereby everything is perfect and everyone gets to you know to to, to do that? No, no, we're not. Like, quite frankly, and unfortunately, until we have you know the most you know robust and detailed data set of data assessing you know individuals on the most you know granular level, you know the policy can only follow the facts that are there. And you know we've obviously kind of focused on this point on anal sex, but you know the the policies have to reflect unfortunately the data that exists this is why things like you know um you know census data is so important for representation of lgbtq people and it applies also to 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 blood donation i would personally also like to see even more innovation in in blood donation why for example can you not go to a sexual health clinic get a full um you know green pass um, we call it a kind of like traffic light, you get your green card and off you go to the blood donation clinic, you know, so, and, and I mean, that's actually a point on data, we have explored this, but, you know, th there's definitely more to do and no one's, no one said that, you know, the shutting up shop and going home. Um, and, you know, that's why campaigners and charities like Terence Higgins Trust exist to, to really kind of push this as, as science and data and knowledge advances. Um, so, you know, what, what I would say is let's welcome the fact that for the first time ever, gay and bisexual men and sexually active gay and bisexual men are able to donate. Let's recognise, you know, the huge steps uh, and work that that has taken to, to get here. Um, and let's not, you know, be the first person on Twitter or social media to throw that away in, in you know, in, in spite of the fact that it's not, you know, the most perfect piece of policy, you know, that has ever existed. And, you know, frankly, like I say, unfortunately, that's never, you know, it's, it's, it's never going to be absolutely perfect. What we can do, however, is advocate for change for a better, a more inclusive, more equal and sustainable blood supply for everyone. And, and I think that's what this week we, we should really take stock. Um, it's not often we get wins in the LGBTQ community, and this year has been particularly challenging. Um, you know, for, for once, this is uh, an opportunity to, 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 to celebrate for a short amount of time. And then we'll get back to the to the grind. Ethan Spivey, thank you very much for joining us. And you can read more on the issue now of our coverage on Openly at OpenlyNews.com. The United States has faced a momentous year. The rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, the impact of the ongoing coronavirus crisis, and last but certainly not least, the election of Joe Biden as president last month. All eyes are now on what a Biden presidency might mean. Will the ban on new trans personnel joining the US military be overturned? Will a Biden presidency see the introduction of the Equality Act, a pro-LGBT piece of legislation? Or, conversely, will it be another 12 months of false starts and disappointments? I'm joined now by Matt Levitas, General News Correspondent for Openly and the Thompson Rogers Foundation in New York. So, Matt, let's look at that initial question. What have been the major LGBT plus issues in the US this year? 
Okay, so the biggest win for LGBT rights this year was by far the landmark Supreme Court ruling that we saw in June. Now, in that ruling, the court declared that the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits sex discrimination, can apply to discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity in the workplace. So in other words, the court ruled that an employer can no longer fire an LGBT person just because of their sexuality or gender identity. Um, some other hot button issues that we saw this year included whether schools should allow trans girls to compete in girls sports leagues, which we saw on a global scale as well, um, whether the government should allow gay and bisexual men to donate blood. Um, and in addition, we saw a record number of LGBT people running for political office. So looking at those, do you think the dial has shifted for LGBT plus rights this year? Are you going to go more positively or negatively? Well, first off, that sort of depends on who you ask, right? Uh, but in terms of what you're getting at for LGBT rights, this year has been somewhat mixed. So while there were major victories like the Supreme Court ruling we just discussed, there were also some letdowns. Uh, the state of Idaho became the first to ban trans girls from competing in girls sports leagues at schools, which then prompted many other states to introduce similar legislation. Um, and as I mentioned, in terms of blood donations, the FDA shortened the window of time uh, that gay and bisexual men must remain abstinent before donating from a year to three months. But many advocates argue that the policy change didn't go far enough and that any kind of restriction is discriminatory. Uh, it's also worth noting that the Equality Act, which would federally ban discrimination on the basis of sexuality and gender identity for a whole host of issues, including workplace discrimination, housing discrimination, healthcare discrimination, that crucial piece of legislation has yet to be advanced on the Senate floor. So again, it's somewhat of a mixed bag. There were some wins and there were some losses and there was some stagnation. Uh, yeah. Okay, so kind of half and half there to a certain extent. So let's turn to that kind of central question of 2021 and Joe Biden, I guess. So what are the issues we should be watching? Uh, well, right at the beginning of the year, there is a special election for two Senate seats in the state of Georgia. So right now, and this is a little complicated, but right now Republicans control the Senate and the Democrats control the House of Representatives. But if the Democrats win both of these seats in this special race in early January, January 5th, they need to win both. Uh, the Senate will be split 50-50, whereby the vice president-elect Kamala Harris will be the tiebreaker for all Senate legislation. So again, that's a little complicated, but in short, the control of the Senate is up for grabs uh, early this year, and whichever party controls the Senate uh, is the party that will decide on what gets voted on, what gets brought to the floor, and, and potentially um, has the majority to enact legislation. Um, so if the Democrats do grab control, it is widely presumed that they would there would be a greater opportunity to pass legislation that would expand LGBT rights, including the Equality Act, which we just mentioned. So the implications for this race are huge. Um, and there will be a few other uh, court cases pending on LGBT rights this year, including whether parents have the right to adopt. Um, which we'll be watching for, and, and more of those state cases involving trans girls uh, competing in sports. But the, the main thing to be watching for is, is honestly right around the corner. This uh, big Senate race is going to determine um, a lot of who controls the power in Washington. Um, one of the main issues as well during 2020 has been the ban on new trans personnel joining the U.S. military. Can, can we expect to see Biden overturn that? 
Yes, that is. A, so that's another another area that we're going to be looking at is Joe Biden will have this new uh, or we're going to have a Democratic president who will have a host of powers uh, for executive orders to enact executive orders. And one of those will be probably reversing uh, President Trump's ban on transgender uh, transgender Americans joining the military. And just to finish off with a more personal question, if I can perhaps say this, you as a gay man living in New York and looking at America both in 2020 and into 2021, just how optimistic are you personally for things to change? Personally, I think that the culture um, every year just gets, uh, the culture embraces LGBT people more and more. And you see, you see both parties, whether it be Democrats or Republicans, people of both sides, um, embracing LGBT people and LGBT rights um, in greater and greater numbers every single year. So while uh, I don't think that there's going to be a huge shift from 2020 to 2021, gradually I think things do move in the direction um, uh, of, of uh, LGBT positivity for LGBT rights. Matt, thank you very much for joining us and for all your hard work during the year. And do join us on OpenlyNews.com for more coverage of US LGBT plus issues throughout the year. This year marks the end of the second full year of the presidency of Jair Bolsonaro. Someone, it can be said, has had a problematic relationship with LGBT plus rights. In the past, he's declared himself to be a homophobe, saying at one point he would prefer his son to be dead than gay. So how have LGBT plus rights fared over the past 12 months, and how has the coronavirus impacted their progress or otherwise? I'm joined now by Fabio Texera, our correspondent in Rio de Janeiro. So, Fabio, thanks as ever for joining us. What have been the major LGBT plus issues in Brazil this year, do you think? Well, uh, I think there are two major issues in Brazil for LGBT people, basically, which were also the main issues in Brazil itself. We have the coronavirus and we had the local elections. Those are like massive uh, things that happened and uh, they obviously impacted LGBT people. Uh, about coronavirus, uh, this has been very tough on LGBT, LGBT people, especially trans women. Uh, so we had a number of studies that showed that the popu LGBT population in Brazil was a lot more affected and more vulnerable to unemployment and uh, depression and other mental health issues during the pandemic. Uh, on top of that, many trans women here in Brazil still uh, rely on sex work to survive as employment in other areas is closed off to them. And uh, so in the first few months of the pandemic, they were in a very dire situation since the lockdown basically meant that they couldn't have, couldn't find any clients in the streets. And if they got clients, they are obviously putting themselves at risk of catching uh, COVID. So this is an issue and it's still an issue. It hasn't, it hasn't stopped being an issue. And uh, we are likely to have a second wave here in Brazil and the population is very tired of lockdown measures and has basically stopped doing any social distancing. If you go anywhere, you'll see that every every place is open, everyone is drinking in, in the bars and going to the beaches. So we expect the 
number of infections to rise exponentially in the in the next few months and uh, obviously that will have an impact on LGBT people as well so that's the bad news the good news is the elections it was very very good elections for for LGBT people here in Brazil it, they did a tally that said that 88 candidates that identified themselves as LGBT people has been have been elected to to either uh, city councilman seats or to mayor, so that's very. They say that it's a record. We don't know yet, and we have some very important uh, cases like uh, a trans woman Duda Salabert that was the most voted candidate in the history of Belo Horizonte to a city council seat. Seat, she basically uh, it's very rare to see a trans woman being elected to anything really but to be the most voted that's extraordinary and uh, the city itself is a major city in Brazil it's uh, the capital of Minas Gerais which, it was, which is one of the Brazil's richest states so she's in a great position to enact change in the coming years now I'm just going to finish by saying that we the two, two gay men were elected mayors and uh, it's very interesting both cases because one of them uh, is a very Catholic a Bolsonaro supporter and still he says he is a, he, he positions himself as an openly gay candidate and he was elected to a very small conservative town and the other mayor is also a gay man and he was elected to another conservative town and uh, he basically said that his electorate doesn't care about the fact that he's gay they just care if he's going to be able to deliver things for them which is uh, i think it's an interesting development that people are starting to not care if their candidate is gay or not well it sounds like some positives there obviously the negative of coronavirus as well but um, we've just entered the final bits of the second full year of Jair Bolsonaro as president of Brazil uh, obviously elected in 2018 and came to power the, I think in January 2019 so looking over the period of the past 12 months with obviously those negatives and positives in mind do, do you think the dollar shifted for LGBT plus rights either positively or, or negatively I think despite the coronavirus this has been a positive year obviously not this hasn't been a good year for anyone obviously but uh, the election was a very positive outcome and uh, we have an interesting thing happening with Bolsonaro right now uh, Bolsonaro tried to elect many people to city council seats or to the mayor's office in many cities and he failed in almost every instance so we are kind of seeing that he has lost support among the electorate and his conservative movement has lost support as well so that's a good thing we also one thing that i would i didn't mention is that uh this was the year where brazil's supreme court has decided that gay men can donate blood which was something that we were that people here in Brazil were clamoring for for years, which is a very good thing that happened to LGBT people here. Yes, that's interesting. When we looked at that, and certainly in the context of 
I think Australia, UK recently, uh, also the US as well. Been a lot of changes when it comes to kind of gay and bisexual men being able to donate blood. I think obviously coronavirus pressures on the blood supply are probably partly due to those changes. But moving forward into 2021, um, and I don't think anybody's going to be particularly sad to see the back of 2020, but what are the main issues you, do you think we should be watching for next year? Uh, it, it's, it's kind of sad because uh, we, we know that uh, 2021 here in Brazil, it's still going to be all about coronavirus. We are still waiting for a vaccine here. The infection rates are still going up and up and up. So coronavirus is still going to be an issue. Uh, but I'm very interested to see how those new politicians that were elected to city office will behave now if they are going to push for new laws that are more inclusive or if they are going to pressure mayors to enact policies that are more LGBT friendly. Uh, there are many things that can happen there if they are smart and know, to, and know how to work the politics. So that's one thing that I'll be sh for sure looking at. Well, Fabio, thank you very much for that. And we'll be watching as things unfold, not just in Brazil, but other countries as well around the world. But uh, do come back to openlynews.com for more coverage of global LGBT plus matters. You're listening to the podcast from Openly, the LGBT plus news site from the Thomson Reuters Foundation. That's all for this week and for the year. But do join me, Hugo Greenhouch, for another look at the week's LGBT plus stories in 2021. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Openly and be sure to like our Facebook page too. This episode was produced and edited by Christopher Johnson. And from all of us here at Openly and the Thompson Reuters Foundation, do stay safe and well and thank you for joining us.